Clovercrest Media Group presents a CMG podcast. Keys to the city. Keys to the city, baby. When you see us, so you know. Across up by Colby, we'll float in Shaq, and then Shaq goes like this, and the rest is history. Pay attention. Don't tell me what to do, devil woman. But speaking of those Lakers, but I, but I hold on, hold on. But I didn't make my. I didn't make my. I said Denver's gonna win. Yeah, you did. You said that. There's no other show like that. Clovercrest is doing great things right now. Streaming everywhere. Let's say goodbye to all your worries about tax planning, investment troubles, and any confusion when it comes to managing your finances and money. Here at Rocky Hill Accountants, our team has a combined 35 years of experience and will help you do it right. We're dedicated to your needs and will deliver on a result that is professional and trustworthy. Our firm is large enough to offer a full range of professional services, but small enough to give you the individual attention that you deserve. Our business portfolio includes thousands of prepared tax returns for individuals, families, partnerships, businesses, and more. The team at Rocky Hill Accountants are also thoroughly trained in tax laws and procedures. We have the ability to represent taxpayers before the IRS when they arrive at collections, audits, and appeals. This allows us to offer our accuracy and audit guarantee to tax clients. Please visit our website at RockyHillAccountants.com or give us a call at 860-257-4238 to schedule an appointment. Throwing jabs, always full sand. Here we go again. Jared, Joe, and Jay's Clover Crest, top three corner man, punching in with a punch's chance. We find a way to win. The main event, lock it in. Every Saturday at ten, the overhand is out of hand. When it comes to fisticuffs, slide a hand on the undercard. You'll never see the punch. Uppercut, got you missing weight. Feet a step late. Keep your guard up, feeling faint from a faint. Take a stand and eight, then retaliate. Put up your duke, stick and move. Bob and wave, don't lose hope against the ropes. There's always an escape. Never stay down. One more round, bells ringing, counter. Punch with your chin tucked and go down swinging. We bring in crosses with no worship, hooks with no verses, combinations with no locks. When you feel the flurious curtains from scrub scraps to fight stats, relax if you want the facts, because the best combat podcast is throwing jabs. It's a Saturday morning and it is fight day, so you know what that means. Throwing jabs with Big Jace, Joe Guire, and Jared Jones. And we're back. Last weekend, UFC 265. Gone, got it done. Got the interim belt. Uh, I mean, the, this was the peak for Lewis. Uh, his last attempt at a title with DC, like that was a week, a month after the fight, like, a fight he just lost. I mean, he just won. He had the back issues. So the, I, I thought he could, if he was going to get to the top, this was going to be the p- point. Didn't happen. Gone just outclassed and dominated. 16 total strikes by Derek Lewis. That was that was rough. But, I mean. I'm surprised he got that many in, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah. Close the window. Gone just destroyed him. But now. We need to unify the belts. How does Gan match up with Nganu, Joe? I love oh, why we wait a minute? We're just skipping right to Nganu, right? Yeah. Got, yeah. I've, seen, I've seen pitchers get 16 strikes and not get out of an inning. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to Derek Lewis real quick. <laughs> God. 
Joe slammed windows. Recap God Lewis. It's not skip to a God now. <laughs> yeah. Look, this this fight was, I think, everything we thought it would be and, and, and could potentially be exactly what happens when he fights in Ganu. I mean, here's the thing. And Jace, I know you're fascinated with some of these knockout guys and, and you and you love the idea of the one punch knockout. But this is what happens when I mean, Derek, I love Derek Lewis and I and I have since I started following UFC. I think he's dynamite. I'll never pick him in a fight against any legitimate contender. And I'll same thing when it comes to Francis Ngannou, who I like and respect very much. Curtis Blades is the same type of guy. Yeah, listen, I mean, if if you're just going to key up and, 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 and wait for that one moment to knock the other guy out, I like the other guy's chances all day long. This was tough to watch. You know, nice for Ghana. It gave him a chance to really show off his skills, which is always nice, but yeah, I, there's the, the idea that they, that you had to make these interim bouts so that we could watch these two guys one more time before you see a couple of athletes go at it again. That's all. This was this was exactly what I figured it was going to be. Yesterday or last week, I mean, I, I jumped out with how when you picked Lewis Chase, how? how like how? Did I say I think the fight, if you watched the fight, that's where that how came from. It's not on his feet or on the ground or with strikes or submissions or wrestling. (laughs) Those weren't ways are you gonna get it done? Muay Thai and jujitsu and Mugugaipan. None of that was gonna work. You know, you could take all of that off the table. He wasn't doing that. Nothing was going to work against this guy because of the windows. I always talk about the windows. Cyril Ghosn and Virgil Ortiz Jr. I told you about these guys. Jared. Yeah. I think you forgot about all the running that that Derek Lewis had done pre-fight. Definitely, I definitely, I definitely thought that that helped him survive into the third round. All the job pre-fight, Jason. No, well, it's not that game couldn't murder these guys. Gone could go in there and finish these in one round, probably not safely. Like I said right. to you, we could have a twelve and two guy here that went in and finished every fight and did what he could to get every first-round stoppage. He'd have nine first-round stoppages, 11 wins and two losses, but he's undefeated because he fights like this, and that's why he's going to remain undefeated. He'll be all of those guys I said it years ago. You guys were sitting here when I called this guy's name out, and he was like 5-0 and and said he's going to – this is a guy that can win several heavyweight fights in the UFC and be a heavyweight champion, you have to remember, when you make the list. And he's – And Ganu, <laughs> and Ganu has that potential as well, but he'd have to knock this guy out. He's not going to outbox Gan. He's not going to outstrike Gan. He's not going to out, you know, he's got to stop him. Well, right. And, and so here's the other thing, right? Francis Ganu has blown every single guy out that he's faced with one exception. Uh, over over the last three years, and that's Stipe Miocic, uh, who took them all five, beat them pillar to post. What about Derek Lewis? 
Do you really want to count the Derek Lewis fight? Now, in, in hindsight especially, to, to see that fight, it's clear Nganu wasn't in the right place because, I mean, that that was a shit show. And there's no other – I mean, it's it's the biggest embarrassment in UFC history. And the whole point of the interim championships here was to avoid those two goofballs standing around for 25 minutes trying to, like, one one punch. I mean, it, it's – nobody wants to watch that again. Hmm. And this is the reason we had this fight was to avoid that. So thank you, Dana White, for, for this stupid interim fight that didn't have to happen. This could have been a contender fight. Number one contender match is what this could have been. But no, you wanted to belt them up? Great, let's do it now. You, you got exactly what you wanted. Let's go put this somewhere cool. France It's where this fight belongs. Gone and Ganu, let's do it. Oh, that'd be sick. In Paris, they just legalized the, the, the damn thing. They've been, they've been working for years to get France to legalize it. It's legal. And they're going to have two guys fighting for the title. There you go. There's your break in the France. Going, going. Love going, going, got and got That's great. And that leads us into our who you got. As uh, in an interview with ESPN, Kamaru Usman says, we all know the significance of the rumble of, in the jungle here in Africa and how massive that was. I think the UFC would easily be bigger than that. And my question to you guys is, can a UFC Africa card be bigger than the Rumble of the Jungle? In a, in a numbers sense, yes, but in a historical sense, no way. Let's be reasonable about this. If he, if he meant in a, hor- if this is in a historical sense, this is a horrible take, and he's, he's out of his mind. If you mean bigger, that it'll make more money and have more people there potentially... Yeah, maybe, but there's not a more significant. You can't throw a UFC event that will be more significant than the Rumble in the Jumble, Jungle historically. You'd have to have like three people die and one of them get elected president right after the fight. You, you, there's, it's not going to happen. Historically, yeah. no way. Yeah, uh, the rubble in the jungle had everything to do with Muhammad Ali's cultural significance. The fact he was attempting to become the second heavyweight champion to win back the title. Mm. Uh, the fact that uh, Ali got beat up by Frazier and then Frazier got demolished in two rounds by Foreman. Um, there was a lot. There was a lot more to it. So no. Uh, again, I agree with Jared as far as the numbers and as far as the money and as far as you know it being the biggest thing in Africa since then. Absolutely. Um, you know, Africa doesn't, I don't believe, has ever hosted an Olympics. So they don't They don't generally get the world stage for anything. They certainly can for, for one of these mega fights. That's great. But, yeah, to, to suggest Rumble in the Jungle, uh, that's cute. I like Marty Usman a lot. I, I'll, I'll say I, I, I like that he knows about it. I like he, that he at least sees the comparison. But, yeah, um, the, the, the cultural significance is, is the big difference here. And yeah. easily bigger. You, I mean, you'd have to be talking about dollars and cents. I mean, either way, it's just the answer's no. Yeah, but I mean. It'll probably net more profit. <laughs> you could put together a mega card with Nganu, Usman, and Adesanya, and that would be. You're still not making this no, argument. You're, you're not. Like, it's not going to have the same impact, but that still would be a mega card, which brings up my 
next question, what is another place that the UFC could go? And, Joe, you said France with Gon. I'm going to stick to France with my answer. Yeah, Yeah, France. I I think Khabib in Russia, if he were to come back in Russia, he he asked for that. But he did say he wanted that so his dad would be in his corner, which kind of sucks. But uh, I still think him in Russia would be sick. And then we, we need to see before. And again, don't forget, none of them would be facing somebody like a George Foreman. That is true. I, I mean, all of these guys, particularly when it comes to Usman and Adesanya, they clean out the division. So who are they going to fight? A rematch against someone they already beat in Africa. Okay, cool. That'll be fun. Like a guaranteed win, a guaranteed win. And if Ngannou and Gan were to fight, you, you never know. But Yeah. But I, I, well, wouldn't that just be the kicker if if you did have this fight in Africa and Adesanya and Usman put the beat down and then you get Ngannou and Gan and say Gan beats Ngannou, then you lose the heavyweight championship in Africa. It's almost a kick of the nuts, isn't it? Yeah, that'd be wild. Yeah. But uh, all right, we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be back with previewing hey. tonight's fights. No. What? Who you got? Who you got? Jared. Jared, what do you think? What's another location that deserves it? <laughs> right, Jared. That's a great question, Jared. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> just happy to be here. <laughs> uh, Moscow, the real unification. Um, and I like Volkanovsky in Melbourne after he beats Ortega. And now for a short commercial break. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> the college football season is coming back, and we got you covered on every game. We're breaking it down on each snap all season long. Catch us every week starting on August 4th. Joe McGuire, Sean Scanlon, Jace Garcia, and his truly, Obi Muniz, giving you the highlights, predictions, and current rankings. Visit our website at hhwshow.com and subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's all four downs, part of the CMG Sports Podcast Network. John Real Casimero is set to fight Guillermo Rigondeo on Saturday night for the Unified Bantamweight Championship of the World. With the WBA and WBO belts on the line, let's break it down. John Real Casimero, 31 years old, he's 5'4 with a 64-inch reach and a record of 30-4 and with 21 knockouts. From Ormoc, Philippines, Casimero turned pro in 2007 with a unanimous decision and then won his next 13 with seven knockouts before defeating Cesar Conchilla by 11th round knockout for the interim WBO junior flyweight title. The following year, he lost in his first defense, dropping a split decision to Ramon Hirales, and in 2011 was knocked out by South Africa's Maruti Umfalani in the fifth round. He bounced back the following year, winning the interim IBF junior flyweight title by 10th round TKO over Luis Lazarte, and defended it three times before challenging Amnat Ruinrung in 2015, losing via unanimous decision. The next year, they fought a rematch with Casimero winning the title with a vicious body shot in the fourth round. 
Four months later, he defended his belt against Charlie Edwards, dropping him with a left hook in the 10th and stopping him with a flurry against the ropes. One year later, he dropped a decision to countryman Jonas Sultan and began campaigning at bantamweight, scoring a knockout of Kenya Yamashita before winning the interim WBO title with a 12th round knockout of Ricardo Espinoza. He retained the title once with a 10th round knockout of Cesar Ramirez and on November 30th, 2019, took on the formidable champion Zolani Tet. And despite being a heavy underdog, Casimiro put on a dominant performance, dropping Tet twice and route to a third round stoppage. In September 2020, he blew out the 11th ranked Duke Micah, outclassing him from the start before scoring another third round TKO. Perhaps the most underrated champion in the sport, Casimero is a relentless pressure fighter and prodigious body puncher who possesses a solid chin, excellent footwork, and devastating power in both hands. Guillermo Rigondeo, 40 years old, he's 5'5 with a 68-inch reach and a record of 20-1 with 13 knockouts. From Santiago to Cuba, Rigondeo had one of the greatest amateur careers of all time, winning gold medals in the Pan American Games and the World Championships, as well as gold medals in the 2000 Sydney and 2004 Athens Olympics respectively, before defecting from Cuba with teammate Arislandi Lara in 2007. He turned pro in 2009 with a third round knockout of Juan Noriega and then won his next five with four knockouts before winning the interim WBA Super Bantamweight title with a split decision over Panama's Ricardo Cordoba. After one defense, he knocked out number two Rico Ramos with a body shot to get elevated to full champion and defended his belt twice with victories over Tion Kennedy and Roberto Marroquin before unifying the title with a unanimous decision over legendary champion Nonito Donaire. He defended it four times, including knockouts over Hisashi Amagasa and Jaza Dickens, and in June 2017 had his fifth defense end in controversy as he knocked out challenger Moises Flores in the middle of an exchange after the bell to end round one. Originally ruled a knockout for Rigondeo, it was later overturned to a no contest. On December 9th, 2017, he took on Vasily Lomachenko for the WBO Junior Lightweight title. Getting completely outclassed and unable to land more than three punches per round before quitting on his stool in round six, citing an injured hand. After a year of inactivity due to a falling out with his promoter, he returned in January of 2019 under Al Heyman's PBC banner with a first round blowout of journeyman Giovanni Delgado. Six months later, he took on former WBC champion Julio Ceja, engaging in an exciting back-and-forth brawl before knocking out Ceja with a brutal left cross with one second remaining in the eighth round. On December 21, 2020, he defeated Laborio Solis for the vacant WBA regular bantamweight title. The quintessential Cuban boxer El Chacal is extremely economical with his punches, relying on split-second timing and limiting his opponent's offensive opportunities with lightning-fast counterpunches and excellent footwork. Will the explosive punches and constant pressure of Casimero be enough to overpower El Chacal, or will the high ring IQ and exceptional hand speed of Rigondeo outclass his opponent as he eyes another showdown with WBC champion Nonito Donaire? Tune in Saturday night for the unified bantamweight world title. Joe... Who's going to come out victorious? Man, you know, I don't normally go with the 40-year-old, but, you know, I think, yeah, I'm doing it, Jared. I I, I mean, <laughs> watching this kid and then I'm a kid, I mean, he's he's almost as old as I am. Uh, plus, he's Cuban, so he's probably even older than the 40 he claims to be. If I had to guess, he's probably 44. <laughs> um, Did he pitch he, in the Little League? 
Yeah, yeah, dude. He was 17 and he starred in the uh, the, the Little League All-Star Series. Uh, yeah, I mean, just again, in previewing all of these fights, and I, I love Casemiro a lot, but man, I just feel like this is it. I just feel like, like Reagan Dow's got this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say seventh round knockout. Yeah. Wow. The stoppage is tough to call, but I'm taking the upset too here with Rig. Yeah. You know this Donito Donaire? This can be Donaire. This is a monster, man. The only thing not going for him is that 40-year-old uh but but even Loma, like who else had spots against him? That's his size. Give me somebody Loma's size down there when Loma at one thirty when he was coming up. That gave him man, and honestly, Loma ran him over. I get it, but he runs everybody over. You're telling me that's the only time he ever lost is that Loma fight, and he fought everybody. This is a who's who at the weight class. Look at his fights: Dickens and and Seha and uh. Kennedy, Casey, like these are these are good fighters. And Donaire and your signature win against Donaire. So I'm yeah, yeah, I'm taking I'm taking Rick. I did this. I love it. Every time, every time I've seen this guy fight, including Loma, he shows up. Man, so these guys at 40 years old that come in and they don't show up, a la Roy McDonald. Um this has never been one of them. We've seen him do it. He was 32 when he beat uh when he beat Donaire. And we saw him do it at 34, 36. We haven't seen him lose since then. This guy's a monster, man. And he's and he's and he's uh and Casimero's favored. Messi. Yeah. Messi. This Rigandau is so tough. He's he but if Casimero can get it done, I'm picking Ringdow as well. But if he can get it done, I, I think he is a legit like, – like that's going to be a big, big notch in his belt. And to see him, if he – the fights he can make with uh, maybe an in a way or a, or a Donaire as well, that that would be – that would be good for this division. But uh, Rigondeaux is just a tough – Man, speed round. Is Casemiro overrated? A little bit. I, I think so, but I, I think I like him. I like him a face, lot. He's, he's a slick fighter. Yeah, me too. Uh, but you guys are smart. You guys are smart guys. Yeah, yeah. Guys a touch overrated. All right, we're all on the same page on that. How about that? But but if he can get this win, I think he might be where he. We might be. We might be wrong. Are you picking him though? You're picking. I'm him not right? picking him, but there is a lot of potential if he can get a win here. That's. I'm saying, hey, following jobs fans, you heard it. All three of us upset pick Rigandy out. He's still at plus 170. Stay tuned. Oh, all right. Well, let's get into the next fight. And Jared, your boy, Virgil Ortiz Jr. Let's break it down. He's Jr. faces his most significant test to date against Aegis Kavalakis this Saturday night live on the zone. Let's break it down. Aegis Kavalakis is 33 years old. He's 5'9 with a 71-inch reach and a record of 22-1-1 with 18 knockouts. From Kunas, Lithuania, 
Kavalakis began amateur boxing in 2007 at the age of 19 and represented his country at the 2008 and 2012 Olympics, as well as winning a bronze medal at the 2011 World Amateur Championships. After amassing a record of 49 and 18, he turned pro in March of 2013 with a unanimous decision, then won his next 16 with 14 knockouts before stopping Mahanri Montez in seven rounds to win the vacant NABF welterweight title. Five months later, he defended his belt against David Avazian, stunning his opponent in round six and beating him across the ring, prompting the referee to stop the fight. After scoring a unanimous decision over Juan Carlos Abreu, he demolished Argentina's Roberto Arazia, catching him against the ropes and knocking him out with a brutal right cross in round three. He took on Ray Robinson, barely retaining his belt with a hard-fought majority draw, and nine months later, he challenged pound-for-pound King Terrence Crawford for Bud's WBO welterweight title. In a highly competitive back-and-forth fight, Crawford survived an early knockdown which was erroneously ruled a slip to gradually wear down and stop Cavalakis, stunning him with a three-punch combination before dropping him with an uppercut and a right hook. He bounced back nine months later in impressive fashion, stunning Mikhail Zuski with a counter-right uppercut followed by a flurry of punches to end that fight. A hard-punching and highly aggressive pressure fighter, Cavalakis uses a solid jab and excellent head movement to set traps for his opponents. He also possesses tremendous power in his right hand, evidenced by his 82% knockout rate. Virgil Ortiz Jr. is 23 years old. He's 5'10 with his 72-inch reach and a record of 17-0 with 17 knockouts. From Grand Prairie, Texas, Ortiz trains out of the same gym where Errol Spence got his start under the tutelage of trainer Robert Garcia. A decorated amateur, Ortiz is a seven-time national champion and the winner of the 2013 Junior Olympics. After 160 amateur fights, he signed with Golden Boy Promotions to turn pro in 2016, rattling off nine straight knockouts, including six in the first round, before making a huge step up in competition, taking on former WBA and IBF super featherweight champion Juan Carlos Salgado in just his 10th fight. He knocked out Salgado in the third round with a liver shot and after two more knockouts, stepped up again, knocking out former WBA junior welterweight champion Mauricio Herrera with a right cross in three rounds in 2019. He followed that with three straight knockouts, including knockouts of Antonio Orozco and Samuel Vargas. On March 20th, 2021, Ortiz had his toughest test to date, taking on the dangerous Maurice Hooker for the vacant WBO intercontinental welterweight title, dominating his opponent from the start and dropping Hooker in the 6th and 7th round before the referee called a halt to the action. A dynamic power puncher with dynamite in both hands, especially his right cross, Ortiz has both the ability to put an opponent out with one shot, as well as the footwork to set up his power shots. He's also very economical with his punches, preferring short, accurate bursts to wild combinations. In an exciting matchup of hard-hitting pressure fighters, Will Kavalakis' experience in big fights prove the difference? Or will Ortiz be able to exploit the mean machine stamina problems exposed by Robinson and Crawford? Tune in Saturday night, and let's find out. All right, Jared, you got to talk about your boy, Cyril Gone. Now, now, talk about your boy, Virgil Ortiz. This is that guy, man. Years ago, I told you this was the guy to look out for. He's, he's shown it to you since. If you didn't know him then, you definitely know him now. 
Mauricio Herrera had never been knocked out. Lost eight fights, had never been knocked out. 24 and eight, Virgil Ortiz stops him. Three rounds. 11 guys out of those 17 had never been knocked out before. 17 and 0 with 17 knockouts, 11 of them never been stopped before. Stop Mo Hunker in seven rounds. Stop Sammy Vargas in seven rounds. I don't think this is about Aegidius being able to beat him. I don't think that's why we, we made this fight. I think, I think he got knocked out by Terrence Crawford in nine. I think he had a bounce back fight against Zalewski. And now I think the idea is, can Virgil Ortiz Jr. finish him in under nine rounds and set up a super fight with Crawford? The answer is yes. The over under is six and a half. Take it. Virgil Ortiz Jr., this kid is a buzzsaw. This will be the toughest match of his entire life. Cavalakis uh, is is uh, an outstanding fighter and uh, a, a guy who can really do a lot of damage. And so this is this is a great fight, and this is this is definitely a step up fight that could take him to the promised land here. And and I, Jared, I mean, he's this kid's great uh, in putting their preview video together. It's not often that all I have to choose from in the highlight reels are knockouts. Um, you don't see that every day. It made it really fast. Uh, so I, I think that uh, Ortiz, I, I, this one, I don't know if the, if the knockout streak continues here. Cavalakis can certainly take some punishment. Um, I'm going to say he gets it, though, Jared. I say Ortiz stops him by round eight. It's over. The, I, I Mo Hooker, I, I hold in high regards, and I think that that win was very, very big. I, I, Kavalakis may be the mean machine, but I just think Virgil Ortiz is just meaner, and he's going to get it done, I think, pretty, pretty handily. I, I'm going to go three, four. I'm going to say four, round four. He gets it done. I mean, this dude's a beast. I'm I'm excited to see him against Bud Crawford. If that's that Jared, that's what you're saying is well, gonna happen. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to see that. And Bud, but I mean, that's a great fight. I'm not gonna say Ortiz will walk through him. But Joe, you're giving this eight rounds now. I want you to think about uh, Bud Crawford against against Agedius. Now, good fight, but Bud kind of played some back foot stuff, right? Yep. Let him come forward. Let him walk into some stuff. Mo Hooker, right? Did a little jab in, little back and forth. Now these guys got finished in the ninth and the seventh round, respectively. So the idea, I'm uh, the the concept I'm coming with is that these guys are both moving forward fighters, and those knockouts took seven, eight, nine rounds. Jace is Jace might be on the money with four is a lot more because this guy's going to push. How does it go to decision? How does he push forward against Ortiz and Ortiz wins and it goes to decision? He's going to kill this dude. Yeah, I, <laughs> this I, is, I believe everything else you said. Greatest fight today. And it could go to decision. Both very tough guys. But Ortiz has walked through everybody. And the guys that come toward him are in trouble. Well, look, never I, seen I him rocked. This is this is a guy he won't walk through. 
and I and that's great for him. And so again, for me, listen, if this goes five, six, seven, that's not the worst thing in the world. If Ortiz gets popped a few times, that wouldn't be too bad for him because I tell you what, when you fight Bud Crawford, you you better be used to getting hit a little bit. Uh, and you better be used to having a harder time uh, landing your punches. And so, again, to, to me, this is a great opportunity for Virgil Ortiz Jr. To, uh, to, to not only to not only like further cement how great he is. This is obviously the common opponent, right? This is one of those common opponents where if you can beat Kavalakis's brains in, boy, what's what's there to question about you being up next? What would be the question? So to me, again, a decisive butt whooping. Ortiz could drop him in the first round. That's great. The streak continues, but is Bud Crawford at home going, oh yeah, I want some of that? Yes. To me, I think I think look, I think if if Cavalakis and Ortiz duke it out for a few rounds, you, you see a really good fight, you really get to see Ortiz do what he does. Again, it's gonna be insane. With two pressure guys just button heads. This shouldn't last that long. And you will. Ortiz gets hit. You will see. You will see them trade punches. This is a great fight. This is fight of the night all day. Oh, yeah. I'm very excited for this. Heck, yes. I'm a little bit of rock'em, sock'em robots, you know. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope he he does finish him uh, in round four. That would be great. But, again, I also like to watch boxing. Well, that's the thing about Ortiz Jr. He's a great, great boxer. But he's a dog, too. He gets in there, he gets hit a little bit, and he walks through stuff I've never seen him rocked or not wear a punch exactly how you want to see your puncher wear it. These, your fighter wear a punch. These, these, these guys that he fought, Hooker hit him a bunch of times. Hooker could punch. And nothing. He just walks through him. And, I mean, that's you're a pressure volume fighter you're in trouble with this guy it's gonna take a boxer it's gonna take a bud crawford and errol spence and manny pacquiao to beat this guy land those punches stay away from him beat him by decision because until i see him get stung and hurt you know like gagey until you really see him rocked i'm just gonna assume he'll keep walking through people yeah i'm excited this is going to be a brawl it's gonna be a show so you guys want to check this out on the zone tonight. Before we get into a little bit of current events, Jared, give us your puncher's chance here. Uh, puncher's chance, McKinnison over eight and a half. This is all day. The guy's 20 and 0. He's favored 12 to 1 favorite. 20 and 0 with two knockouts in the toughest match of his career against a guy that's never been stopped. This over an eight and a half. Barring somebody with a blown out knee and their foot stepped on, uh, Olin Norris is the only guy who could stop this from going over eight and a half. Rigondeaux, we just covered, still at plus 170. Both of my co-hosts picked this guy to win as well. All three of us on the same guy, and he's an underdog. Good money. Virgil Ortiz, be careful with this one. It is his toughest test to date, but I think he's looking. That number is actually up to eight and a half. So under eight and a half actually fits Joe's eight and Jace's four. And we all agree on Virgil Ortiz under this Roger Gutierrez fight. These guys fought uh, once already. Gutierrez beat him, knocked him down three times and just barely beat him on points. It was a Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder-esque fight. But at that weight, if only one guy 
has the potential to hurt the other guy, then take the guy with the puncher's chance. Roger Gutierrez, I parlayed these six way from Sundays. I'm not going to tell you how to do it because everybody's doing their own research nowadays. Anyways. Hell yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. And we were just talking about welterweights, Virgil Ortiz. We talked about Crawford. But on the other side, on the Showtime, on the PBC side, Pac, Earl Spence Jr., with the draws from his fight with Pat, Manny Pacquiao that was supposed to be for next week due to a partial retinal tear in his left eye. So now we have Manny Pacquiao taking on the man that somehow got his belt without fighting him <coughs> in Ugas. Joe, what do you think of this situation? Well, I knew Errol Spence Jr. would figure out a way to worm out of this fight. Um, and so whether whether the injury's 100% real or not, uh, yeah, I, I, I felt like from the get-go this was never going to happen. Uh, Ugas. Ungats. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't know what to tell you. This is not... I think if you told Manny Pacquiao he was coming out of retirement again, taking some time off from his job, you know, running the Philippines, that he'd be fighting Ugas, I don't think he'd have gotten out of bed. I don't think he would have even started camp. No. Um, but this, this is uh, obviously some 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 bad news. He should have been fighting Bud Crawford in the first place. So you get what you get. So how many rounds will it take? Pack to finish this fight. Ugas is as good as mine. Um, I'm really just tired of the suspense. That was a, <laughs> oh, that was a double header. That was a double header. Um, I, yeah, I didn't. I man, I would like to see this fight, but it seems like Spence is one of these habitually shooting himself in the foot guys. Sucks that he's a professional boxer yeah. because he'd be a perfect candidate for scrub scraps. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, there's, there's more bad news. Ray Leonard's the only fighter I'm aware of who came back from a uh, retinal detachment and had vision problems the rest of his career as a result of it. Yeah, when you can't see what's coming, that's a real problem in this sport. That's, yeah. why, I, that's why I wear camouflage condoms. But uh, I mean, so they can't see it. Um, the <laughs> the Errol Spence Jr. is this guy. Like I said, after the car crash, the arrests, the BS. It's like, do we want to see this fight? Do we even put him on that? Years ago, uh, when we started this show, he was on pound for poundless. No. Now the arrow points straight down for this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but I mean, hey, if we, everyone will watch John Jones fight, so we'll watch Errol Spence fight when he. I don't even remember that. (laughs) I know. Yeah. When? When is? Regardless, it will eventually maybe happen down the road, but uh, yeah, uh, it, it would really suck if this is a lingering injury and because because that top of that division is so fun especially if they can somehow make that Crawford fight happen so if that messes up his whole 
Well, this is perfect for Spence, too, because this will be an excuse uh, going forward, assuming he recovers from it. He can always complain that he would have beat Bud in their future super fight uh, if he could see better. So built-in excuse right off the right off the jump. Hey, you, if that super fight even does happen, which is yeah, we'll keep our eye on him. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh. <laughs> All right, let's end the show like we and Jared hit us with that flurry. Uh the fish tank. So a lot of times when I describe scrub scraps to people, one of the questions I get is about kids. And I say Scrub Scraps is intended for over 18, the program itself. And I get a lot of questions about that. Why wouldn't it be for kids, especially uh, applying to become a charity? Don't you think you'd be more likely to generate donations and participants if you included children? The answer to that is yes on both counts. And the metaphor I use to try to explain to them why I won't do it is that of a fish tank. Eventually, I'd like to have a Scrub Scraps Juniors program when it takes off and is successful. But as for the beginning, um, the program itself is designed to give people tools to build a life that doesn't involve hardship and trauma. And while children also experience hardship and trauma, in some of the worst ways, they don't really have the ability to adjust their environment. So the metaphor of the fish tank is that of a fish sick, a sick fish. That is, I, I can take that sick fish out of its environment, out of the fish tank that caused it to be sick somehow being in there. I don't know if it's the tank, the water, the other fish. Something made that fish unhealthy, and if I remove it from that environment for a couple hours and do some pad work with the fish, <laughs> clean it up, rinse it off, and then throw it back into that same tank, the environment will have the same effect it had before, and actually making that change is near impossible with the other fish in the tank and with the surrounding environments. A lot of the times, um, the most unfortunate part of some of the work I've done is a lot of times the changes necessary for the child um, aren't within their capability due to the environment that they have to be in. You know, you can't just uproot hundreds and thousands of children and put them somewhere else as much as some of us would like to. So I don't want to deal with that. I can't uh, deal with the fish tank directly. I, d I don't like the effect of the children not being able to make the wholesale changes that they need to make to make it better. And it, and it uh, frustrates the children, the parents, and me. Um, so the program I have, for the most part, there's no um, permission slips or anything and we keep it over 18 and that way when we take the fish out of its environment and rinse it off and make the fish healthy and give it the tools to build a different environment it's up to the fish now if that's the fish tank that they want to jump back into or not and not one that i'm just dropping them off to at the end 
Lacrosse and Wrestling Entertainment Podcast presented by Clovercrest Media is what UAW fans have been looking for. Noah Cross and Tyler Bard give their take on every week's episode of Dynamite. If you are a massive AEW fan, then it is time to join us every Sunday at noon Eastern Standard Time. Stay crossome. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been throwing jabs. Thank you for that flurry, Jared. For Thank myself, you, Big Jace, Joe Aguirre, and Jared Jones. Make sure you check out tonight's fights. Should be fun, especially Virgil Ortiz versus the Meme Machine. That's going to be a brawl, so make sure you check it out. And tune in next week where we'll, we'll recap them, talk about more fights to come, Ugas and Pacquiao like we talked about. So make sure you stay tuned. Check out, make sure you follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and check out clovercrestmedia.com. We'll see you next week for more throwing jabs. Throwing jabs, always full send. Here we go again. Jared, Joe, and Jays. Clover Crest, top three corner man. Punching in with a punch of chance. We find a way to win. The main event, locked it in. Every Saturday at 10, the overhand is out of hand. When it comes to fisticuffs, slide a hand on the undercard. You'll never see the punch. Uppercut, got you missing wave. Feet a step and lay. Keep your guard up, feeling faint from a faint. Take a stand and aid, then retaliate. Put up your duke, stick and move. Bob and wave. Don't lose hope against the ropes. There's always an escape. Never stay down. One more round, bells ringing, counter punch with your chin tucked and go down swinging we bringing crosses with no worship hooks with no verses combinations with no locks when you feel the flurry of curtains from scrub scraps to fight stats relax if you want the facts because the best combat podcast is throwing jabs Joe McGuire, I'm the president of Clovercrest Media Group, and here at CMG we have a wide variety of podcasts, including sports shows like Keys to the City, The Roll Call, Throwing Jabs, All Four Downs, and Jawing About the G-Men, and great true crime shows like Sticky Meat, Crimes and Consequences, Ivy League Murders, and Burn, the Unsolved Murder of David Eichmann. You can find all these podcasts and so much more by visiting clovercrestmedia.com.